0: Father, I simply ask that you take me out of the way this morning. May only your spirit come through to touch their spirits. And may you reveal your heart and your word in a way that only you can do. Holy Spirit, please do your work in the lives of each individual here. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I'm excited today to be able to share with you what God has put in my heart for you. I've been asking God why he would have me to speak to you. And for one... I want you to know that you are not here by mistake. God has ordained for you to be in this very building on August 2nd, 2015. And I don't say this for dramatic effect. I say it because it's true and God is sovereign, and because He cares about each one of you. Secondly, I believe we are living in unprecedented times in the history of our nation and our world. God wants His people to be able to look to Him alone during these times. We are seeing the Word of God fulfilled in an accelerated manner. These are exciting times because God has so chosen each of you to live during this period of history and to be a part of His kingdom's purposes. Each one of you have a purpose. You see, no matter how chaotic or scary things look, God is in control. Without a doubt, he is in control. His kingdom is overtaking this world. It's like the mustard seed that starts out smaller than any other other seed and grows into the largest tree, with its branches providing a place for the birds to make nests in its shade. His kingdom has been growing since Jesus ushered in the last days. I'm reminded of Mark 4.30. And he said, this is Jesus, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade. The early church lived with an expectation that Jesus would return at any moment. In fact, their greeting to each other was many times Maranatha, which means come quickly, Lord Jesus. They lived with that expectation. They also lived in a time of great persecution. Yet even though they were being persecuted or even martyred for their faith, they seemed to walk in a peace. In fact, the word peace occurs in every chapter of the New Testament except for 1 John. This gives a strong indication that there was a real expectation that the believer could walk in peace. This brings me to the subject of my talk this morning. You see, I'm convinced that we as followers of Christ are able to accept that we have peace with God. This peace comes through the cross. It's very clear through scriptures that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection brought us to a peace with God. However, what seems less easy for us to accept is that we can actually walk in the peace of God. Somewhere along our journey, we have to make this transition from not only walking in peace with God, but to walking in the peace of God and for this to be a real reality in our lives. I stand before you today as a man who has had to learn what this peace really means. This learning came through a journey of faith where God left his indelible mark of peace and trust in my heart. In fact, he left this mark on our whole family. This journey involved God taking our family from a false sense of security to a total dependency on Him. We have learned to live on the manna that can only be provided by God's hand. I'm not going to go into every detail of this journey this morning. Let's just suffice it to say that God took our family to a point of losing everything so that we could see His hand in everything and so that we could learn to trust Him and walk in peace. Before I go much further, I, would, I feel the need to define what peace is. Peace seems to be such an elusive word. Is it just a feeling? Is it some heightened state of, quote, consciousness that we all strive to obtain but somehow never really reach? It's just, just this elusive, nebulous thing, but not really. See, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it means wholeness, quiet, tranquility, contentment. It is found over 180 times in the Old Testament. It is said to represent one of the most prominent theological concepts of the Old Testament. The New Testament Greek word for peace is eirene. It means wholeness, or one, rest, quietness. It involves a sense of wholeness and completeness as well, just like the Old Testament version. Wholeness means that peace touches every aspect of our being, our mind, our will, and our emotion. That's who we are as a whole person. The New Testament word for peace amplifies the Old Testament word due to the fact that it is attached to Christ and in his work and on the cross to bring us to a peace with God. My personal definition of peace, based on the journey we've been through and the the trials we've been through, is that peace is a settled resolve that all is well, that God is in control. Peace is a settled resolve that all is well and that God is in control. That resolve is a deep knowing. It's a, that I know, that I know, that I know that God is in control. I think of Job 42.2 concerning God being in control when Job answered to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Again, I think of Job 34.14-15. And he says, if, if he, speaking of God, just set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath. All flesh would perish together and man would return to the dust. <laughs> are you getting a glimpse of how in control God is? We are literally upheld by his breath and his spirit. And if he were to call that back to himself, all creation would return to the dust. I'd say that God is in control. So we talk about what peace is, how peace is defined, but how do we, is it experienced in our lives? And I was looking through the scriptures and looking at different ways, just a few, that peace is experienced in the believer. What does peace look like in a practical sense? What does the experience of peace look like? And I think of Psalms 131, 1 through 3. And it says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, and my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. This is a soul that is in the state of peacefulness and contentment. Can you get the sense of that? Like a weaned child with its mother, the weaned child is content. The nursing baby is always impatient and restless. I feel like I have a little authority to speak of this for you. Those of you who uh, are visitors, I have nine children, so I've seen a lot. (laughs) In fact, it's always been funny to me to watch each one of our children when they were babies. They would cry to get their mom's attention when it was time to nurse. And when she or I would pick them up to prepare them to nurse, they would start getting more and more frantic and agitated as if somehow she wasn't going to nurse them, even though we're delivering them to her. I think somehow we get this way with God. We don't walk in contentment and peace. We get frantic and we get anxious and we get nervous as if somehow God's not going to take care of us. This God who upholds us with His breath is somehow not going to take care of us. I want to share with you another experience of peace that I feel like the Lord gave me. And I again, I'm not going into great detail of our journey of faith, but let's just, you know, understand that there were some things that were left in our hearts and at, at one of uh, the parts of our journey God gave me a vision and it was this I was in Mount Horeb this was a vision that God gave us during an intense part of our faith walk one night I was praying earnestly seeking God for the next steps what would he have me do and I'd already seen God's hand up to this point I'd seen small steps where he said he didn't provide the next step till I took a step and when I took the step, the road rose, to meet my, road rose up to meet my feet. And he always provided. So I was already getting uh, inklings of this. Um, but there was still this nervousness in me, like, how am I going to provide for my family? And it, for those of you who may not know, God He called me out of full-time employment nine years ago. And he had called me into business uh, to start my own business. And so when he pulled me out, and I had five children at the time, and number six on the way, it was like, my goodness, how am I going to provide? So this was kind of the state I was in. And I was saying, Lord, what's the next step? And he gave me a vision in my mind's eye. It was as if he transported me to Mount Horeb, the same mountain where he appeared to Elijah after Elijah was fleeing from Jezebel. It was when God appeared to him in a tumultuous storm. God was encircling the mountain in a tempest. It was stormy, and it was ominous, and it was dark. It was thunder and lightning. Rocks were cracking and breaking. And so you get the idea that this tempest. And yet he drew me to the edge of the mountain. And he gave me this sense of serenity. And, And while I was there, with complete trust in God, it was like he drew me to turn around backwards. And I just let my arms go when I fell backwards off the mountain. Why would you feel that way, you know? Why would you feel that way in the midst of all this tumultuous storm? It was black and it was dark, but God said, I have you. You're in the palm of my hand. I have you, Chris. Don't worry about the future. This vision left a strong impression on me since then. When my circumstances get tough, God brings this vision back to my mind and my heart is at peace. It's as if the Holy Spirit taps on my shoulder and he says, hey, remember, it's okay. Peace is sometimes hard to explain. Have you ever heard the statement that some things are better caught than taught? Peace is sort of like this. Peace has to be experienced. In fact, I believe a good part of our journey with the Lord is about how the Holy Spirit is leading us into His truths. This leading is really God taking you through experiences and trials that if you persevere will lead you to an experience of His truths. So we've discussed the definition of Peace and describe the experience of peace. But to really walk in a lifestyle of peace, we have to believe that this is possible. You see, many times in life, it's hard to believe we can accomplish a certain thing unless someone tells us or shows us that it is possible. And this leads me to my first point. If you look at John 14, 27, it was Jesus talking to his disciples. My first point is that God's intention is that his children do walk in peace. In John fourteen twenty-seven, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The Greek word for peace here again is erenia. And it means wholeness or one, rest or quietness. In this verse, we see that it's Jesus' intention that his followers walk in peace. He wouldn't have said it if it was not part of his intention. In fact, the context of this scripture, in the context of this scripture, Jesus is actually modeling peace to his disciples by example. Here he is on the eve of his crucifixion, and he's taken the time to eat with his disciples, to instruct them about the future, to wash their feet, and to demonstrate his love for them. I don't know about you, but how many of us would even be able to eat a meal if we knew we were on death row and that the next day we were going to be executed? I don't think I could. Much less if we were going to be tortured, mocked, beaten before actually dying. And even dying would be death on a cross. And yet his his heart was for his disciples, and his heart was for the disciples, us, who were coming in the future. But he walked into peace because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus was not only setting an example for his disciples, but also for us. In the moment of his most extreme trial, he was in total peace. How do we react when facing seemingly unsurmountable circumstances? Do we react with a quietness and rest? One of the lessons God had to teach Jeannie and I was that as soon as we come to a peace in a given circumstance, the sooner we would move past it. Peace is usually the last thing you feel when you're facing hard situations. In fact, you can't really feel your way to peace. Peace comes out of a settled resolve that all is well and despite how it looks. This is not a matter of mind over matter. This is merely a deep confidence that God is sovereign and has all things under control. There are things, things are never as they seem. I've heard a definition of faith before That says, faith is looking reality in the face and disagreeing. I say peace can be substituted there. Peace is looking reality in the face and disagreeing. Looking at the tumultuous storm and saying, I disagree because I know who I serve. So we see that God is telling his children that they can walk in peace, that it is possible. But how can we experience this peace in a practical way? This brings me to my second point. We have to let the peace of Christ direct and control our hearts. If you look at Colossians 3:15, you get a taste of this. And he says, "And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and by the way be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts." The Greek word for rule is brabuio, and it means to be an umpire, to decide, to determine, to direct, or to control. So essentially we're, we are to let the peace of Christ direct, umpire, control our mind, will, and emotions. That word for heart is cardia, and it embodies the meaning of the very seat of our being, our mind, and our will, and our emotions. So he's saying, let my peace control that. In other words, when we face trials and circumstances that are out of our control, that attempt us to rob rob us of stability, instead of falling into a condition of fear or anxiety, we are to let God's peace direct our mind, our will and our emotions to, to a trust that he has it all under control. Sometimes we have to keep saying and believing this until it becomes settled in our spirit. It's not a matter of behavior modification. It's not a matter of confession, positive confession, and all the modern day stuff, but it's a matter of knowing in our spirit, and it's a matter of saying, God, I know you're in control, and I know I can walk in peace. There was a time in our walk that we literally lost our power for two months. Jeannie was pregnant with her sixth child, and Winter was getting closer. This was becoming a pretty stressful situation. We knew that God had called us on a walk of faith, but the reality of it didn't look so good the circumstances didn't look good and we questioned a lot of things and it was around this time that the Lord spoke to our hearts and said the world needs to see me and not to hear of my power but to see it in action not to hear of my peace but to see that it keeps my followers calm, unruffled and untroubled no matter what the outward circumstances think of that the world needs to hear, not only to hear of his peace, but to see that it keeps us, his followers, calm, unruffled, untroubled, no matter what the outward circumstances. You see, God was leading us to the truth of this peace by allowing us to walk it out in a period of extreme testing. He was telling us to let his peace direct and control our reactions in the direst circumstances. How can we as followers walk through such trials in the state of peace? This brings me to uh, my third point, which is in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. But there are principles that govern us walking in peace. If you can turn to uh, Philippians. This is a familiar passage. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot to that scripture, actually, if we were to unpack it. But I just want to bring out a few promises, uh, two promises at least, that were in these scriptures. First promise is God will give us a peace that passes all understanding. This is not a peace that you can acquire from the world, In fact, the world would come far short of giving you this peace. It gives you the opposite. This is a supernatural peace. It's a peace that only God can give. As stated before, the world needs to see his followers walk in a supernatural peace such that it is obvious that this peace is the finger of God. People need to see that in us. They need to see it. Because what would we have that's any different than the world? Secondly, God's peace will guard us. You see that in the phrase, the peace of God will keep you. And also, God himself will be our companion. You see that in the phrase, the God of peace will be with you. The word guard means garrison. So think of your mind as a fortress, a citadel. And God is saying that he will provide constant patrol around this fortress so that all can be at calm and peace within the fortress. See, God can give you that supernatural peace and he can guard your mind because there is a battle in the mind. There is a battle in how we look at things. But keep in mind that verses 7 and 9 use the word and as a connector to the previous scriptures. And the peace of God and the God of peace. This means that prior promises are consequent upon something else which has been stated previously. So that means that there's conditions there's principles to walking in these promises. In fact, as you read through the Scriptures, there are at least three principles that govern the promises described previously. The first principle has to do with our relationships. If you look at Philippians 4, 4-5, again, rejoice in the Lord always. I will, again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So the first relationship as a condition and a principle is to Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. To quote J.A. Mottier, he says, The essence of the matter is to value Jesus Christ and to so long for the smile of His approval that nothing else matters. He is all our joy. And naturally, in the present context, we cannot hope to enjoy the peace of God if we give less than first place to Him who is our peace. In other words, we have to be all in. Our life has to be focused on Him. The second relationship is to our fellow believers and others. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Again, to quote J.A. Motyer on reasonableness and forbearance, it means the uncomplaining readiness to accept others as they are and to submit oneself to their demands. You see, this was Christ's attitude, and so it should be ours. How can we walk in the peace of God if we don't have peace with each other? I mean, how many of you know when you, because we all walk in conflict at different times, right? Especially in the body, when you have conflict with someone in the body, it's kind of hard to pray. It's kind of hard to seek God or even to feel genuine when you do it, when you know you, you have conflict with someone else in the body. It's very important that we come to a peace in that situation. <laughs> very important, because it's hard for us to walk in peace in our life when we have that kind of conflict. I know even uh, with Jeannie and I, if I if I go to work and for some reason we've had conflict in the morning, I can't make it very far in the morning, can I, without calling and saying, hey, I'm sorry. You know, because I can't even focus. I can't think. I'm not whole. I'm not complete. God wired us this way, and he's telling us how to walk in his peace. The second principle has to do with our circumstances. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be n- made known to God. You see, the antidote to anxiety and the prelude to the enjoyment of peace are strongly linked to prayer and thanksgiving. When we pray and submit our requests to God in prayer, anxiety is resolved by trusting God. We are praying and believing God is who He says He is, and that allows us to place our trust with Him, realizing God is totally competent to handle all our needs. When we offer Thanksgiving in our prayers, we are also acknowledging that our all-wise, all-loving, and all-sovereign God has so appointed our circumstance. We have to accept that God never acts without purpose, and that His purposes never fail. I shared in the uh, first service uh, a book I had read years ago by Watchman Nee called Breaking of the Outer Man and Release of the Spirit. It's very interesting in our journey with the Lord, we find that, sometimes we may find that we're repeating the same issues over and over. We we run into the same walls over and over. First of all, that's probably a good clue to you that God is trying to shape you in that area, (laughs) because you're the common denominator of whatever the situation is, but also, I see that the Holy Spirit knows better how to arrange my circumstances to deal with the issues in my life. So we all probably are somewhat self-aware, and we all know that, hey, I I had these issues. I may get angry or I may get fearful or fretful. And we may, if we were to, God would allow us to arrange how we can get past that, we would arrange it a certain way. But a lot of times when you follow the Holy Spirit, He'll take you all the way around to here and then to here and then to here only to when you get to that point you find out my goodness he just fleshed out that issue in my life because only the holy spirit knows how to arrange your circumstances so if we know that about god then shouldn't we trust him when we run into the trials principle three this principle has to do with our thoughts it says in philippians eight finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In Philippians 4.8, the word finally could really read next. So Paul is telling us, you know, don't be anxious about anything with prayer and supplication. And it's like he's saying next. He's telling us that our prayers can be strengthened by our thought life as if as we seek to know his peace. So I'll give you all these things, but control where your thoughts go. The verb think about is logismos, and it means to ponder, to give proper weight and value to, and to allow the resultant appraisal to influence the way life is to be lived. Again, to quote J. Macher on the subject, he says, it is the will of God that by giving attention to things of which he approves, we should shape our minds to be like his. To those who do so, he pledges his guardian peace and his own presence as the God of peace. Where do we put our minds? Where are we focusing? In other words, if we want to walk in peace, his people should not let what influences our minds the most be dictated by Fox News, CNN, and talk radio. That's kind of a practical aspect of it. So how many of you, looking at what's happening in the landscape of our nation and the world, Watch the news, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with watching the news or listening to talk radio to catch up on things, but why do you keep hearing? Everything they throw at you is, is negative. It's, everything's going downhill. And it stirs up your spirit to want to get out and fight, so to speak, right? But God says, no, I'm about peace. Not that we don't stand up and not that we don't speak the truth where it needs to happen in our society. But I'm saying we can't let that stir us up. We can't let that lead us down a path because that's all the enemy wants is to get us off track and not to walk in peace. Lastly this morning, I want to leave with you my fourth and final point. Peace is intricately linked to trusting God. Peace is intricately linked to trusting God. In Isaiah 26.3, it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. That word perfect peace is peace, peace. This really became a, a um, verse for our family. And I haven't shared a lot of details of our walk. But I can tell you that God brought us to a place of peace. He brought us to a place of trust. And there's no fear in us. There's no fear in in our family at all. Our children have seen it. They have seen God provide firsthand. And they've seen his his work being accomplished through our family. And, And there is a trust that you can have that no matter what comes, there's nothing to be fearful of. There's nothing to thwart that trust. Perfect peace is birthed out of a deep, unhindered trust in God. Trust is steadfastness. Let me read you an excerpt from the commentary of Alexander McLaurin, who was born in 1826. Most men's lives are blown about by winds of circumstances, directed by gusts of passion, shaped by accidents, and are fragmentary and jerky, like some ship at sea with nobody at the helm, heading here and there, as the force of the wind or the flow of the current may carry them. If my life is to be steadied, there must not only be a strong hand at the tiller, but some outward object which shall be for me the point of aim and the point of rest. No man can steady his life except by clinging to a holdfast without himself. Some of us look for that stay in the fluctuations and fleetingnesses of creatures, and some of us are wiser and saner and look for it in the steadfastness of the unchanging God. The men who do the former are the sport of circumstances and the slaves of their own natures, and there is no consistency in noble aim and effort throughout their lives corresponding to their circumstances, relations, and nature. Only they who stay themselves upon God and get down through all the superficial shifting, strata of drift and gravel, to the base rock are steadfast and solid. That's a lot of, lot of words, but he seemed to really capture the essence what it is to trust God. I'm here to tell you, you can trust Him. Jeannie has a phrase, uh, she says to me, if something comes up even today, and it, it may be something that is, uh, would make you nervous, and she said, you know, this is not worthy of worry. This is not worthy of worry. We have seen the hand of God, and we know that He is in control. In closing today, I would like to invite you to open your heart to God's peace. There may be some of you who are going through trials even as I speak. Your very fears and struggles are being being exposed in these trials. And let me tell you, they will be exposed. See, that's God's heart and His mercy to you. That's His grace to you. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't like the ugly things that come out of us. But God's purpose is to shape us into His image and to be able to touch other lives through us. So things in your life that are hindrance to you God will expose and many times he uses natural circumstances to do it I don't know if many of you are like me but I'd love him just to supernaturally change me in <laughs> each area of my life is hard that's not how it works that is not how it works you may be wondering how you're going to pay the next bill or you may be wondering how you're going to keep going without losing your job you may be wondering how you're going to keep your marriage you may be wondering about the fate of our nation and where things are going in this world you fill in the blanks but i can tell you with all certainty and a strong resolve a knowing that i know that i know that god is intends for you to walk these trials out in peace he intends for you to seek him and seek his peace i've asked Jeannie, my wife to come up And and play a song that really, you know, to me, every family has a testimony. If you read Deuteronomy, there's a testimony for Israel. There's a testimony for each family in here. And the testimony we carry is a testimony of trust. It's a testimony of peace. And there's a song that encapsulates that peace that we feel like we carry and that we want to, to get out there. If you listen to the words of this song and realize it's a song, a theme song for our family... I want, as you listen to it, I want you to close your eyes and I want you just to ask God to open your hearts. Open your hearts in areas, there's things you may be going through now. There may be things in the past that you're still struggling with, but I, I ask you to search your hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to search your hearts. To look for those areas in your life where you need to walk in peace. I just want you to listen to these words If you close your eyes. Through it all, keep your eyes on him. It is really well. Things are not as they seem. And he is a God you can trust. He is a God of peace and a God who will be with you through everything. Before we go, I want to pray a priestly blessing that God commanded Aaron to pray over Israel.